0: Amen. Oh, youth camp. Man. I was a youth pastor for 15 years in the States and, um, and averaged about two camps a summer. One with our 6, 7 and 8, yeah, 6, the 8th grade and then ones with our grades 9, two, and, 11, and 12. Uh, and then speaking at different camps uh, for different friends, I probably have been to about 40 Youth camps. So um, I definitely uh, extend my prayer for you guys, God. I've seen God do amazing things at youth camps, changing lives, um, students coming to Christ, students being baptized, um, and students being called to full time ministry. Students being called to be dentists, but they end up being dentists uh and some of a little bit in the states and then traveling to go do dentistry uh all throughout third world countries um, all kinds of things you see <clears throat> at youth camps and so um My prayer for the whole church here is that you would um, be praying for your students as they go, Um, praying also for the students that are going to be at that camp. Um, It's a huge, huge thing. Uh, God does an amazing thing when students uh, set aside an entire week uh, to to be focused in on Him. And so, uh, anyways, I just wanted to talk about that. It's a a huge part of my life and has been for years. Well, this is the third week uh, of a a series that we have looked at when it comes to intimacy with God. Um, And so just a bit of a review, two weeks ago, we looked at uh, intimacy, the definitions of intimacy, intimacy with knowledge, and intimacy with a person. Um, And so we understood two weeks ago that a lot of us can have this intimacy of knowledge about God, uh, and we can know all about Him with our minds, but... We can never experience full intimacy with Christ until we have an intimacy with Him, a relationship with Him as a person. Uh, It's not enough to know about Him as much as it is to surrender our hearts to Him. Um, And so we talked about that two weeks ago. And then last week, um, we talked about I'm um, having uh, a relationship with Him, uh, and understanding the, the true concept of worship. That worship defined is to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. That is our spiritual act of worship. And to understand that worship is more than singing, worship is our lives. It's everything we do, uh, it's who we are as, as, as the Holy Spirit leads, lives through us. And so this week we're going to look at complete intimacy. What does it mean to have complete intimacy? And complete intimacy... Comes um, when God fulfills His complete purpose in you. When God fulfills His complete purpose in you, let's pray together and uh, and we'll we'll jump in. Jesus, we need you this morning. Holy Spirit, we need you to teach us this morning. We need you to draw our attention to you today. We need you to focus our hearts and our minds. On what you have to say to us. And I pray, God, that you and you alone would be the one who communicates to us what we need to hear this morning. So speak now. Speak loud to our hearts. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, William Borden, some of you may know his name. You may know at least his last name. Um, William Borden was uh, the son of um, a dairy farmer. (laughs) And this dairy farmer uh, became a very successful dairy farmer in the U.S. So much so that Borden Dairies was the fastest growing number one dairy in all of the United States in the early 1900s. And so William Borden was the son of this large company. And now the, the father of this company um, was, had all kinds of money. And so William Borden grew up and a very wealthy family. And so they sent uh, William for his high school graduation present on a trip around the world in 1904. And in 1904, William was able to see more than just the U.S. He went over into the Middle East, and he went over into China, and he went over all around the world. And he came back from that trip affected. He came back from that trip knowing Jesus, And he came back from that trip with a different world view, with a different set of lenses. Understanding that there are people all over the world that were in dire need of Jesus. William graduated from high school, went to Yale University. And at Yale University, began as a freshman. And one of his friends wrote later, When I first met Bill Borden, they called him Bill. When I first met Bill Borden, I thought to myself, this is a a man who was farther ahead in life than me. And although we were the same age, his spiritual capacity of knowing God was far greater than anybody at our school. And this is on the campus of Yale University. As he began to, uh, to minister and, and to pour his life into people, Bill Borden started a Bible study, started a prayer gathering in his, in his dorm. Three people came the first time. By the end of the school year, 1,000 of the 1,300 students at Yale University were attending this prayer gathering and Bible study. They were amazed at how Bill could take the Scriptures and, and, and teach the Scriptures to them. And he created this Bible study on the campus of Yale University. Well, as he was going, he began to understand what God was doing in his life. He started thinking about that trip around the world. At the end of his freshman year, he took his Bible, opened his Bible to the back, and wrote down two words. No reserve. No reserve. There was nothing that was going to keep him from moving forward in his relationship with Christ. No reserve. You see, William Borden began to understand that he was born for something greater than the possibility of being the heir to a dairy farmer. And so he had no reserves. He was going full steam ahead. And he began to understand his purpose. We're going to look at that today. We're going to look at what complete intimacy looks like. The first thing complete intimacy looks like is to understand number one, that you were born with a purpose. You were born with a purpose. And so what we're going to do as we walk through William Borden's life, we're also going to walk through someone else that had tremendous purpose, which is every one of us, by the way, but somebody whose illustration is great for us in the Bible, and that's the, that's the man, John the Baptist. We look at him being born with a purpose. We see this in Luke chapter 1, verse 11. It says this, While Zechariah, this is John the Baptist's dad, while Zechariah was in the sanctuary, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the incense altar. Zechariah was shaken and overwhelmed with fear when he saw him. But the angel said, Don't be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayer. Your wife Elizabeth will give you a son, and you are to name him John. You have great joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. Listen, for he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. We see John the Baptist and we see that God was doing an amazing work in the womb of John the Baptist's mom, Elizabeth. We see the angel proclaims to Zechariah, his father, he says, even before he's born, the Holy Spirit is going to be in him. Now, in today's time, after Jesus was resurrected from the dead, and Pentecost came, and the Holy Spirit came, for all of us to have access to the Holy Spirit, if we surrender our lives to Christ, we understand now today that the moment that we say to Jesus, God, I believe in You, I admit I'm a sinner, I surrender my whole life to You, is the moment the Holy Spirit is given to us. And you need to understand today that everything we're talking about cannot be done without the power of the Holy Spirit living in you. In other words, for you to be able to live out your purpose, like we talked about two weeks ago, is to understand that the moment you surrender your life to Christ is the moment that life begins. And if that happens for you at the age of 7, or if that happens for you at the age of 27, or 47, or 57, no matter what happens, that's when life begins the moment you surrender your life to Christ. Because that's when the Holy Spirit comes, and that's when you begin living on purpose. But we understand this to understand, uh, to know that John the Baptist, when he was in his mother's womb, he had the Holy Spirit. God sent the Holy Spirit into John the Baptist. One of my favorite stories of John the Baptist is in Luke chapter 1, verse 39. says this, A few days later, Mary hurried to the hill country of Judea to the town where Zechariah lived, Mary being the mother of Jesus. She was already pregnant. She entered the house and greeted Elizabeth. Now, here you have two pregnant moms. Elizabeth, John the Baptist's mom, and Mary, Jesus' mom. Both pregnant. Babies both in the womb in that moment. Probably have a little baby bump. You know what I'm talking about. Okay? Now, (laughs) at the sound verse 41 at the sound of Mary's greeting Elizabeth's child leaped within her Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit so Mary comes John the Baptist is in Elizabeth's womb and all of a sudden when Mary says hey to Elizabeth and they embrace and they hug or they do what they do all of a sudden John the Baptist inside of Elizabeth leaps with joy why? because he knows his purpose already Isn't that amazing? Alright, moving on. Now, Zechariah prophesies about his son. Luke chapter 1 verse 76, And you, my little son, will be called the prophet of the Most High, because you will prepare the way for the Lord. You will tell His people how to find salvation through forgiveness of their sins. Because of God's tender mercy, the morning light from heaven is about to break upon us, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, and to guide us to the path of peace. John grew up, became strong in the Spirit, and He lived in the wilderness until He began His public ministry to Israel. Guys, here's what we must understand. is at the moment that you were conceived, even before that, God created you, yes, you, not just John the Baptist, not just the people that that God wrote about in the Bible, we're talking about you and me, that God created you for a purpose. He's placed you on this earth for a purpose. And at the moment that you surrender your life to Jesus and the Holy Spirit comes inside of you, it's the moment that purpose wakes up. And it's the moment that God begins to lead you. And it doesn't have to be full-time ministry. It doesn't have to be a missionary. It could be a dentist. It could be a banker. It can be somebody picking up the trash. The garbage. It can be anybody. It doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter your, your, the way that you earn money. It just, you just need to understand this, that God has placed you on this earth and he, you were born with a purpose in mind from Him. And that complete intimacy with Christ is to understand that you are saying, I surrender my life so that God, you, who created me, can live out the perfect will you have for me and to the lives of this world. And that's understanding that. Number two, central to your purpose is making Jesus famous. Central to your purpose is making Jesus famous. I don't know if you understand this, but God the Father created you. He sent His Son Jesus to die on the cross for your sins. You accept Christ. You understand that you surrender your life to Christ. The Holy Spirit comes inside of you. And I don't know if you get this, but the Holy Spirit living through you does nothing but to help other, help you help other people point them to Jesus. The Holy Spirit's role is to point other people to Jesus. And so, central to your purpose is making Jesus famous. John the Baptist understood this. Verse six God sent a man, John the Baptist, to tell about the light so that everyone might believe because of his testimony. John himself was not the light. He was simply a witness to tell about the light. See, John understood his purpose. He himself was not the light. He was he came to tell people about the light. The one who is the true light, who gives life to everyone, was coming into the world. He came into the very world he created. But the world didn't recognize Him being Jesus. Jesus came to His own people, and even they rejected Him. But to all who believed Him and accepted Him, He gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. So the Word became human and made His home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness, and we have seen His glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. John the Baptist testified about him when he shouted to the crowds, This is the one I was talking about when I said, Someone is coming after me who is far greater than I am, for he existed long before me. John chapter 3 talks about John the Baptist, verse 23. At this time, John the Baptist was baptizing at Anan, near Selim, because there was plenty of water there. By the way, I have no idea how to say those words, okay? Um, Let me just tell you this What I learned a long time ago Anytime you're reading A difficult word in the Bible If you say it fast And with confidence No one will ever correct you Okay Just say it fast And with confidence And everybody will be like Okay you must know how to say it I have no idea how to say that. Okay But it sounded like it didn't it Right Okay Alright Sorry Alright moving on Where am I Okay here I am Alright Because there was plenty of water there, that's why he was baptizing, and people uh, kept coming to, to him for baptism. Verse 24. This was before John was thrown into prison. A debate broke out between John's disciples and a certain Jew over ceremonial cleansing. So John's disciples came to him and said, Rabbi, the man you met on the other side of the Jordan River, the one you identified as the Messiah, he is also baptizing people. And everybody is going to him instead of coming to us. John replied, No one can receive anything unless God gives it from heaven. You yourselves know how plainly I told you, I am not the Messiah. I am only here to prepare the way for Him. It is the bridegroom who marries the bride. And the best man is simply glad to stand with Him and hear His vows. He describes Himself as the best man. And Jesus as the bridegroom and the church, the people as the bride. Therefore, I am filled with joy at His success. He must become greater and greater, and I must become less and less. He has come from above and is greater than anyone else. We are of the earth, and we speak of earthly things. But He has come from heaven and is greater than anyone else. He testifies about what He has seen and heard, but how few believe what He tells them. Anyone who accepts this testimony can, can affirm that God is true, for He is sent by God. He speaks God's words, for God gives Him the Spirit without limit. The Father loves His Son and has put everything into His hands. And every, anyone who believes in God's Son is eternal life. And anyone who doesn't obey the Son will never experience eternal life, but remains under God's angry judgment. John got it. He understood his purpose. His purpose was to point people to Jesus. No matter what he did in his life, no matter how he earned his money for a living, no matter what family God put him into, he understood that the central purpose of his life was to point people to Jesus, was to make Jesus famous in his own life and in the lives of the world that he lived in. That was his purpose. That was his theme. William Borden understood that. That's why William Borden started a Bible study at Yale University. That's why people began to come. Why? Not because William Borden was being exalted, but because William Borden was talking about Jesus, and Jesus was the one being exalted. The prayer of every pastor that fills this pulpit, the one who comes up to teach, myself included, is not that you would ever remember about Jeff Phillips, but that you would remember that Jesus Christ was exalted on this day. And that you would leave here not talking about Jeff, but that you would leave here talking about Jesus. Why? Because it's the central purpose of every person who speaks in this pulpit to exalt the name of Jesus. And that is the central purpose of John the Baptist's life. It should be the central purpose of all of our lives. That when we encounter a relationship with somebody, they would think, man, that person, they know Jesus. They make me think about Jesus. Number three, you were created to encounter Jesus. This happened with John the Baptist. John 1, verse 29. John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, this is the very beginning of John's ministry, just as Jesus is coming, the first time he's ever seen Jesus. He says, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world... He is the one I was talking about when I said a man is coming after me who is far greater than I am. For He existed long before me. I did not recognize Him as the Messiah, but I have been baptizing with water so that He might be revealed to Israel. If you flip over to Matthew 3.13, you see John the Baptist and Jesus having an encounter. First, Matthew chapter 3.13 says this, Then Jesus went from Galilee to the Jordan River to be baptized by John, but John tried to talk Him out of it. I am the one who needs to be baptized by you, he said. So why are you coming to me? But Jesus said, It should be done, for we must carry out all that God requires. So John agreed to baptize Jesus. And after his baptism, as Jesus came up out of the water, the heavens were open, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and setting on Jesus. And a voice from heaven said, This is my dearly loved Son who brings me great joy. Back to John 1. John testified, I saw the Holy Spirit descending like a dove from heaven and resting upon Jesus. I didn't know He was the one that when God sent me to baptize with water, He told me, the one on whom you see the Spirit descend and rest is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I saw this happen to Jesus, so I testify that He is the Chosen One of God. Guys, for all of us, That's it, right? I mean, at some point, we were created, and we understand that we were created to encounter Jesus. Every person on this planet was created to encounter Jesus. Your coworkers, your family members, your neighbors, the people that you're walking uh, down the mall with, all the people that you encountered, we were created to encounter Jesus. And maybe, just maybe, God wants to use you to introduce that person to Jesus. Regardless of what we do, we must understand that our central purpose in life is making Jesus famous. And that comes by explaining the encounter that we've had with Jesus, your personal testimony. And that's what William Borden did. William Borden had an incredible encounter with Jesus, accepted Christ on his world, on his world trip. comes back with a burden for the people. He lived his life on purpose. Number four, you must understand the value you have in his kingdom. Whose kingdom? Jesus. Luke chapter 7, verse 24 says this, After John's disciples left, Jesus began talking about John to the crowds. What kind of man did you go into the wilderness to see? Was he a weak reed swayed by every breath of wind? Or were you expecting to see a man dressed in expensive clothes? No, no. People who wear beautiful clothes and live in luxury are found in palaces. Were you looking for a prophet? Yes. And John the Baptist is more than a prophet. John is the man to whom the Scriptures refer when they say, Look, I am sending my messenger ahead of you, and he will prepare your way before you. I tell you, of all who have ever lived, none is greater than John. Yet even the least person in the kingdom of God is greater than he is. That would be any of us, by the way if you have a relationship with Jesus and you surrendered your life to Him, you are a part of the Kingdom of God. You're a part of the Kingdom of Heaven that's forcefully advancing on this earth. Guys, we must understand the value that Jesus places on us as His children. That whenever we come to a relationship with Christ, that we become children of God. And I don't know about you guys, but if you have children, there's a little bit of value you place on them, isn't there? I would die for my children. When they're sick, I pray that I'd get sick so that they don't get they're not sick anymore. I mean these are sacrifices you make for your children. And to understand that we are children of the perfect Heavenly Father. It's to understand that there is great value placed in who we are as His children and that He loves us. So we must understand that value. Number five, sometimes you'll doubt your purpose. Sometimes you'll doubt your purpose. When William Borden was graduating from high school, I mean from college, from Yale University, he graduated in the top Percentage of his class at Yale. And he was thrown a lot of business offers. One of which was to take over his father's business. He was thrown other successful business options as well. To become a wealthy man in the northeast of the United States in the early 1900s was a tempting thing. And so there may have been a time in his life where he started going, you know what, maybe maybe, maybe going after this purpose that God's given me. Maybe, maybe that's not it. Maybe I do need to go back to my family, or maybe I do need to to take some of these business offers. Maybe I need to think about those some more. I don't know. John the Baptist had his doubts as well. You see, in Matthew chapter eleven, verse two, it says this. John the Baptist, who was in prison, heard about all the things the Messiah was doing. So he sent his disciples to ask Jesus, Are you the Messiah we've been expecting? Or should we keep looking for someone else? Jesus told them, Go back to John and tell him what you have heard and seen. Tell him the blind see, the lame walk, the uh, lepers are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised to life, and the good news is being preached to the poor. And tell him this, Tell him that God blesses those who do not turn away because of me. Let me just kind of get you in John's mind just a little bit, okay? John the Baptist, in the earlier years of his ministry, was baptizing people, telling them for forgiveness of sins, turn from your sins. Be baptized, for there's one that's coming one day that will take care of you, that will come to you, that will forgive you, that will give you grace and mercy. That one who's coming is the Messiah. He's preaching this in his life. He's wearing wild animals clothes, he's eating locusts and honey, and he, I mean, he's just going all out. He is a rare individual. He is on purpose, he is on mission, and he is all out. In fact, all of us would look at him and think he's a Jesus freak. I mean, this guy is sold out. He doesn't look like anybody. He doesn't care what anybody thinks. He's just living his life on purpose. And so he's baptizing all these people, and one day Jesus comes and he says, Look, there he is, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And Jesus walks up to John and says, John, you baptize me. And he goes, What? Me baptize you? No way! You're supposed to baptize me. And Jesus said, No, no, no. You're going to baptize me. Do it right now. John baptizes Jesus. Jesus comes up out of the water. The Holy Spirit descends from the heavens like a dove and rests on Jesus' shoulder. God speaks an audible voice for all to hear saying, this is my Son. And about a year later, John's in prison. And John looks at his disciples and he says, go to Jesus and ask Him if He's really the Messiah we're, we're looking for. What? John, you Wait, John, you just gave your whole life to this. I mean, you didn't care how you looked. You had zero fashion sense. I mean, there was nothing going on about you, John. You were a complete and absolute Jesus freak. You baptized Jesus. You saw the Holy Spirit descend. You heard the voice of God, and yet you're questioning this? And if he questions his purpose, after seeing all of that, How much do we? There are times we're going to doubt it. There are times you're going to sit there and you're going to go, God, is this really it? I mean, is this what you've called me to? I mean, really, God, because if this is it, I mean, I... I don't know. William Borden was called to a Muslim section of China. On the day he goes to get on the boat, he's about to get on the boat and somebody a messenger comes and says, "William, William, your father is sick." Your father's sick and, and you you have to go back. you have to go back and take care of the company and you're, you're the one who knows I me, mean, you're, you're successful and you, you really need to go back And so now he's torn he's on the dock he's about to get on a boat to head towards his mission to head towards his purpose to head towards China but yet he's got his family here and he looks at his family and he says I can't I can't go back because God's called me to something more God's called me to a purpose. And our family's going to be okay. And he hugs the messenger. He gets on the boat. And he writes in the back of his Bible, right underneath the words, no reserve. He writes two more words. It says, no retreat. No retreat. And even though there were a lot of things in his life that caused him to doubt his purpose of going to this Muslim section of China, that there was, no, there was no retreat in his mind. There was nothing that was going to keep him from moving off purpose. No reserve. No retreat. My prayer for all of us is that we understand that in our own lives that we understand that there are going to be times that we're going to doubt the purpose that God's placed in our hearts and minds, the calling that he's placed in in us. That we would turn our face like Jesus did when He turned His face and said, His face was like flint. It was like stone. His purpose was on Jerusalem. He knew He was going to die for the sins of man. That we would turn our face like that on the purpose of God and say, Yes, God, I'm going to do that. I'm going to do what, you, what I was born to do. That's what I'm headed to do. Number six, You will die with no regrets, knowing you lived your purpose. Matthew 14.3 John the Baptist For Herod had arrested and imprisoned John as a favor to his wife Herodias the former wife of Herod's brother Philip. John had been telling Herod it is against God's law for you to marry her. Herod wanted to kill John but he was afraid of a riot because all the people believed John was a prophet. But at a birthday party for Herod Herodias' daughter performed a dance that greatly pleased him. So he promised with a vow to give her anything she wanted. At her mother's urging, the girl said, I want the head of John the Baptist on a tray. Then the king regretted what he had said. But because of the value he had made in front of his guests, he issued the necessary orders. So John the Baptist was beheaded in the prison. And his head was brought on a tray and given to the girl who took it to her mother. Later, John's disciples came for his body and buried it. And then they went and told Jesus what had happened. You think John died with no with uh, no regrets? You think John died knowing that his purpose had been fulfilled absolutely? William Borden got on that boat, and he decided because he was going to a Muslim section of China that he was going to go learn Arabic. So he goes to Egypt first. The boat stops in Egypt and he goes to Egypt and he gets off the boat in Egypt and he begins to learn Arabic so that he can rightly divide the Word of God, rightly understand the Quran, rightly understand the Bible, and to begin to teach Muslims about the truth of Jesus Christ. So he goes and he learns Arabic. While he's in Egypt, he contracts spinal meningitis. Vital meningitis at that time was an extremely deadly disease. And William Borden died in Egypt, never making it to China. His stuff was gathered. His things were sent back. And his family gathered his things. And they were going through his stuff one day. And they opened up his Bible. It had three two-word statements. The first one said, No reserve. The second one said, No retreat. And the third one was dated just two days before he died. And it said this, No regrets. No regrets. Why? Why did a man who never made it to what he thought was his purpose, why were there no regrets? There were no regrets... Because he knew he was on purpose. He was on mission. He was moving forward. And as he moved forward, he knew that in the moving forward, that's exactly what he needed to do to be in the center of God's will. And he had no regrets. He had no regrets. Lastly, your life should be remembered, number seven, your life should be remembered as a life lived that pointed people to Jesus. There were those who didn't know Jesus that thought this about John the Baptist. Luke chapter 9, verse 7, Herod Antipas, the ruler of Galilee, heard about everything Jesus was doing and he was puzzled. This is the guy who... Beheaded, John the Baptist? Some were saying that John the Baptist had been raised from the dead. Others thought Jesus was Elijah one of the other prophets risen from the dead. I beheaded John, Herod said. So who is this man about whom I hear such stories? And he kept trying to see him. Why? Because John the Baptist had lived like Jesus. And when Jesus now had come on the scene doing things, Herod was confused. He said, wait a minute, I beheaded that guy. I mean, the guy you're telling me lived like this, I already killed that guy. No, no, no. There was somebody else, Herod. His name is Jesus. And He's the one that John the Baptist, the man you beheaded, He's the one that John the Baptist was talking about. He's the one that John the Baptist is trying to live like and for. He's the one who lived His life on purpose. Jesus himself talked about John the Baptist. Matthew chapter 17, verse 11 says this. Jesus replied, Elijah is indeed coming first to get everything ready. But I tell you, Elijah has already come, but he wasn't recognized, and they chose to abuse him. And in the same way, they will also take the Son of Man, make the Son of Man suffer. Then the disciples realized that the Elijah he was talking about was John the Baptist. Jesus understood that His ministry grew by leaps and bounds before He even came on the scene because of the testimony and the word of John the Baptist who said, no, He must become greater and greater and I must become less and less. John the Baptist got it. He knew His purpose. And then, many years later, Paul, in Acts chapter 13, Paul, the Apostle, he talked about John the Baptist. Verse 23, And it is one of King David's descendants, Jesus, who is God's promised Savior of Israel. Before Jesus came, John the Baptist preached that all the people of Israel needed to repent of their sins and turn to God and be baptized. And as John was finishing his ministry, he asked, Do you think I am the Messiah? No, I'm not. But he is coming soon, and I'm not even worthy to be his slave and untie the sandals on his feet. John the Baptist had a tremendous reputation in the church. Because He was the guy who paved the way. He knew His purpose. And He was born with it and He lived it. And I'm here to tell you today that you were born with a purpose and the moment that you accept Christ is the moment that you can begin to live that purpose with the Holy Spirit living through you. I don't know what it is. I hope and pray that you're learning what it is. For my family and I, We have no idea why God chose to, for myself, to speak here. Born in Texas. Raised in Texas the first 25 years of my life. Met my wife Sarah. We were in in university together. Raised in the South. Did 15 years of ministry in the South, in Texas, Alabama, and Mississippi. Came up here to Vancouver in 2008 for a conference called Passion which by the way students, Passion is coming back to Vancouver March 23rd just letting you know Um, small commercial but it's a great event for these students Um, but coming to Passion we've absolutely fell in love with this city God gave us a heart for this city we went back to the south but our hearts never left here So we spent all of 2009 telling people about what God was doing in our lives and what His purpose is and was for us. We moved here just after the Olympics last year, starting a church in downtown Vancouver, and are absolutely in love with this city and with these people. That's our purpose. For 15 years, my purpose was doing teenage ministry. And then God called us out of that to this. So we're here. And we love it. And we can say we have no reserve. And we're not retreating. We're a 35 hour drive by car from our family. Our family is all in Texas. No retreat. we have no regrets. If we were to die today... In this city We would die in the center of God's will And my question to you Is can you say the same thing? I'm not saying you have to be a full-time pastor I'm not saying you have to be a full-time minister- missionary Or any of those kind of things My mom is an incredible encourager She has this gift of encouragement That's absolutely amazing She's a secretary At an office In Fort Worth town.